our global leaders only are able to do so much and it's really on us and to get to this next level of of existence like it's going to take each of us being our own leaders Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 265, I sit down for part two of my chat with producer, executive coach, and performance consultant Michael Balshin to talk about the power of taking responsibility for everything, reconciling our inner dictator with our inner stoic the subjective and sliding scale nature of good and evil and why living a free and open and generous life is hardwired. So yeah, we <laughs> we go pretty deep on this one, man. And it is awesome. So get ready. That and more is coming up in episode 265. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And it's now available in the iTunes App Store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more. Go to Rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn about all the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's Rehearsal.pro slash IAP. AJ, you sound so good. Your voice sounds so rich and full this week. What is different? I finally uh, got the the AT twenty twenty the 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 sort of recommended VO to go go microphone. And now you have the option of doing some really high quality, professional quality voice work. Congrats, dude! So stoked. Yeah, thanks. I, I've been uh, using our our field recorder for it for voiceover stuff up until. Up until this, so um, I'm stoked. Sweet, man. Well, before we get started today, we have uh, a thank you shout out to a bunch of new members that have joined us in the membership this year. Nick Riggle, Rigal, Rigal. I'm sorry, I'm so bad with names. I do this every time. I really apologize, Nick, but thank you for joining us. Also, Sarah Hunt, Tyler Sabrowski, Alexander Alvarez, Olga Kalishnikova. And Kelsey Jackson, you guys rock. So pleased to have you join us in the membership for the Artist Way IAP cluster for all the goodness that's coming and that's already in there. Uh, and thank you again for supporting this show. You guys make this thing happen. Without you, we literally would have stopped doing this <laughs> a while ago. So, so you you make it possible. Thank you very, very much for your uh, support across all the domains that uh, a podcast requires to, to stay in production. Really appreciate it. So that said, uh, the Artist Way IAP cluster is really kicking. We're on what, week five now? Yes, just started week five. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I am actually a week behind. I missed a week of the reading, but I'm, I've already done it, so I'm, I'm able to sort of catch up and, and reorient uh, myself pretty quickly. But but uh, last week was the reading deprivation week, and I'm curious how it went for you. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm actually really glad. I didn't know we would be talking about this. I'm glad you asked. I... I didn't completely 
do away with reading. But more importantly for me, the thing that I wanted to sort of go into a deprivation chamber with was was social media, um, especially with everything going on. I mean, I know it's important to be informed, but like, God, it's just depressing. <laughs> like this constant barrage of world going to hell in a handbasket. And what I did for myself for week four, and it's uh, continuing through week five, and I may actually make it a, a permanent thing, is I deleted Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram off of my phone and my iPad. And I'm basically not going to those sites at all right now. I think I may get to go back to them and use them as tools for connecting with people and advertising if I'm doing like a reading or, or, or something like that. But beyond that, for the time being anyway, um, I have stepped away that was my that was my big thing for for week four. And what's your experience been like? What has it been like this past week where you don't have these kind of go to habitualized distractions on your technology? Well, you know, Julia Cameron talks about the idea that when we do this, we start to become more aware. We look up, we look around the restaurant as opposed to at our phone. I mean, she doesn't use that analogy because uh, smartphones were not they didn't exist. They weren't as ubiquitous when she first wrote the book. So it's interesting having her say, you're going to deprive yourself of reading. What's interesting is I didn't necessarily have the experience of like being more creative. What I noticed was I started to fill in that time with other things that were also distractions. I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, look at how easily I distract myself like you said, habitually, that was a great notice. And I'm, I'm doing such a good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna Fisher. I'm doing such a good job of not doing this perfectly <laughs> and not beating myself up about it. It's been great. And, and, and so I've just, okay, cool. Notice that and move on to the next thing. So my, what I'm doing right now is, is sort of slowly, but surely removing things, uh, from my life a la, you know, the minimalists. Uh, I didn't enjoy the documentary enough to make it my pick of the week, but I did watch the Netflix documentary and it, it, you know, it was good. It wasn't like mind blowing or anything, but it was a great reminder. And with everything going on with the artist way, and, and I talked a little bit about what's going on with me, um, internally, introspectively recently, that's one of the things that I'm doing is, is filling boxes of crap and getting rid of it. Um, it's a slow process. I haven't had a dedicated today is like this afternoon actually is going to be a dedicated afternoon to just that, that that's all, that's all part of it. Like depriving, you know, she calls it deprivation, but it's really, it's, it's about taking away the distractions so that we're more focused on creation and more focused on presence and more focused on ourselves. I, I definitely have noticed a heightened awareness and I think that's the most important. I mean, it, heightened that, awareness of, of, everything, of, what, of everything, everything myself, just noticing things that I do, things that I think actions that I take, noticing things around me. Like it, it really feels like you're, you know, it's like meditating, like the consciousness level gets raised. Yeah. We have a, a question to get to, but before we do, um, you have a little bit of news. You're actually, you just, you literally came from an on tape audition, another one. 
the, the only reason I wanted to talk about this one is because it's such a great example of creating relationships and having the bare fruit, you know, for years and years and years. So our listeners know that I have gone out for the blacklist for probably 12, 13 times now. Oh my God, really? And, um, yeah, it's been so many times, but anyway, there's going to be a spinoff show, the blacklist redemption. So the blacklist colon redemption is a spinoff show. They're in their first season. I had no idea it existed, but I just got my first audition for it because my guess is that it's the same office. Uh, yeah. So anyway, just, just an example of like, you know, getting in to these offices, doing really good work and then having them just call you in over and over and over again. And another show, you know, hopefully these casting directors will cast primetime television for the rest of their lives and keep me on their, uh, in their short list. Obviously it can be frustrating not booking something, but the opportunities are there. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. You can do that right now for free and come to the monthly workouts in Hollywood. We've flipped the classroom. We've talked about that on past episodes, but now it's all about working on the mic, getting feedback, making adjustments, taking your game to the next level. And you learn this material on your own from your you know home on your own schedule in your pajamas. And then you come in and apply it each month in the classroom. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start to get started. And we have one question that we want to respond to quickly on this episode, and this comes to us from Andrea. Yeah, she uh, she's just been studying acting for a couple of years now and that she has a softer, higher pitched voice. And she's been told that her voice is holding her back. Who said that? Um, she says, I live in a minor market um, where we only have singing teachers, not acting voice training. Do you have any suggestions for how I can improve my vocal quality on my own? Perhaps exercises or instructional videos. I love acting, and if this is really holding me back, I want to work at it. So thank you, Andrea, for sending this in. Uh, Trev, do you have any uh, off-the-cuff response to this one? Hmm. You know, I did a little scene a while ago with this actress who was stunningly beautiful and her voice sounded like Mickey Mouse and the the whole scene was built around the fact that her voice was not what you expect would expect to, to come out of her mouth and it was a big joke about how like I didn't believe that she was actually you know of age and things like that in this scene and so it really worked for her. She really capitalized on that in this scene. I don't know if she wrote it or what, but it definitely went on her reel. And I saw it as a really unique way to position herself as a very, very specific solution to a specific problem in the casting community, in, in acting and film. Um, that said, I can see how it would pigeonhole a person that way. Um, so, I mean, as far as practice goes, I mean, the more that... I, I think the more you can read out loud, the better you'll get. Um, I'm, I'm kind of just shooting from the hip here, but you know, if you're reading books or plays in your spare time and you're, you know, by yourself or whatever, just 
experiment with with playing with that. I, I don't know of any specific like exercises that that you could do and any instructional videos outside of you know, for instance, the vo2gogo.com curriculum. But uh, if you want to get started right away, I would just say really practice reading out loud, playing with character voices in books that you're reading, reading magazine ads out loud, reading plays out loud, and getting used to feeling your voice out uh, and and the different levels and dynamics that it has. I mean, that's that's all I've got at this moment. Uh, what are your thoughts, AJ? Um, yeah, I, well, I, I just have two. One is you kind of already touched on, which is, you know, sometimes you can capitalize on your uniqueness um you know i think of actors like who is it uh, jennifer tilly have such distinctive voices and it's like well that that's their whole you know they've they've built a career on that and she does uh voiceover stuff uh i think you know she's one of the main characters on family guy and she's also done you know feature films and she's had a, a great career um so you know there's ways of that's just what you bring to the table in addition to that, I applaud Andrea for her want to train to get better, which uh, is is the sec- my second point, which is we should all be uh, getting better in, in every aspect of the craft. Voice is a huge aspect. It's a huge part of it. You know, it's part of our, our tool set. And so um, I would suggest – you know, for starters, you said there's only singing teachers where you're at. Well, if you want in-person instruction, singing is all about breath control and presence and learning how to use your voice. You just happen to be singing. So even if you don't consider yourself a singer, if the singing teachers actually know what they're doing, you're going to learn a ton about your voice and how to use it. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot. There's tons of books I mean, there's entire sections of, you know, uh, acting bookstores that are dedicated to just voice work. You know, do some research on online. There's all these different methods. And there are people who, you know, you can even work with via Skype. I have a, I have a friend who, who does that sort of for uh, a living. That's her job. She got her MFA in like some kind of really specific vocal instruction thing and she does uh, in person and over Skype, private and group, you know, voice classes that are all about, you know, using your voice properly as either an actor or a public speaker or something like that. And she uses um, a lot of different tools and uses your body and yoga and all kinds of stuff. So mm. it's out there and you don't necessarily have to be in a major market to find it. Awesome. Yeah, I would actually love, Andrea, if you have some time to respond to this. I would love to, because um, you put holding me back in quotations in your email. Um, you said, I love acting. And if this is really, quote, holding me back, unquote, I want to work at it. So I'd love to hear. Well, I think she's quoting somebody specific, right? She said it's she's been told. Right, right. And I, I Somebody guess, told her it's, it's holding her back. Yeah. And I would love to hear what exactly that means. What, what specific, what specifically about your voice, Andrea, have you been told is holding you back? I think if we, if we knew that we might be able to offer some more specific um, approaches, but, but everything you said, AJ is, is right on the money. And 
you know, the more I do voiceover work and listen to myself on the mic, the more I get to know my own voice and hence refine my storytelling skills, uh, both on the mic and off the mic, just in everyday life. And it's, it's pretty cool to have that enhanced level of awareness about how, um, this, this other piece of me works and how I can really use it to, to, to draw people in if I'm telling a story. So Maybe look at that. Maybe look into voiceover work. I mean, like you said, AJ, Jennifer Tilly, family guy, having a great career. Uh, yeah. Unique voices, Andrea, uh, are a great reason to get into voiceover. A great reason to look into it and, and see if there's a something, you know, remarkable that you can do with the quirk, you know, quote unquote quirk or gift that you've you've been given with this with this uh, softer, higher-pitched voice that you say that you say people have told you is holding you back. It's also something she can do from anywhere, so minor market or not, yeah, you know, it's a very mobile industry. Amen. Yeah. So, Andrea, I hope that helps. Thanks for writing in and uh, and let us know. Let us know, um, you know, more specifics if you can, and, and what you come up with, and what works for you, and whatnot. Um, thank you again. So that's it for part one. Let's jump into this interview with Michael, shall we? Yeah. All right. So, guys, like I said, we go pretty deep in this in this interview, and I, I love this stuff. And we kick it off with Michael's not, admittedly, not voting for Donald Trump, but saying that he's been excited for Donald Trump. And AJ, you and I touched on this just you know a few minutes ago about how it kind of seems like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but we also have a very specific. Uh, perspective that we are looking at the world from, where we have a specific you know lens we're viewing things through, and so uh, we talk a lot about how to step outside of that in this interview, and it all starts with uh, seeing the possibilities in a Trump presidency. Uh, again, whether you voted for him or not, this will be really, really valuable, I think, for you. So check it out, and we'll see you on the other side. for Trump. You, you shared with me in an email, but, um, you said that you were excited when he won. And I, I've been really practicing a sort of, um, let's focus on the good aspects. You know, the whole idea of what you focus on expands and, you know, let's give this, this guy a chance. I'm not a fan of him for sure, for sure. And I think a lot of what he's, you know, shared on the campaign trail and declared he's going to do is pretty terrifying. But I know, also know that when you're in the presidential office, it's a very different story. But you, I, I wasn't excited when he won, and you, and you said you were. <laughs> Can we let's talk a little bit about maybe where, where this perspective uh, is coming from with you, and and kind of why you think this could be a good thing for our society? Yeah, sure. Um, and full disclosure, I also did not vote for Hillary. I had an absentee ballot that I forgot to mail in. Um, my wife and I were. In, we're in New Zealand. Um, so, so, so I, I didn't vote at all, which, which, you know, not doing my civic duty, but yeah. So I heard Trump won and I, I was excited because I think so many people are waiting for somebody else to solve their problems. Somebody, somebody else or the, or the powers that be, um, and kind of blaming, 
blaming their situation on other people. And I thought if there's never been a bigger signal that our problems are not going to get solved by somebody else, like this is it. Um, and so for me, it was this, this, this excitement and this hope around maybe this is what it's going to take for people to like really wake up and say, okay, what am I going to do to create a better community? What am, what am I going to do to be, you know, nicer to my neighbors and to, and to create this place that like I want to live in and, and, and this environment that I want to live in and, and have this relationship with myself and this self, the self ownership of like, okay, I'm not having a good day. Like, what am I going to do to fix that? Like, I'm not happy with my job. What am I going to do to fix that? Instead of like, oh, it's because, you know, my boss is whatever, whatever. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, that excites me. I don't know that, that, that that will, you know, happen, but I think the way that, that our world is going, it's increasingly interconnected. You know, there's, there's never been quicker access to news from, from around the globe, but, but quicker access to people from around the globe. Um, and we are this kind of globally connected community now that's, that's the lines aren't being drawn on the maps, um, any differently, uh, although that's, that's probably not true for some places in, in the Middle East and in Europe right now, but our, our global leaders only are able to do so much and it's really on us and to get to this next level of, of existence, like it's going to take each of us being our own, our own leader. Mm. I, I just watched Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary. Well, God, what was it called? Uh, the climate before doc- the before the flood. Yeah, have, have you seen it? Uh, it's in my to watch list. Cool. It's it's good. It's you know I had a few issues with it, but I was overall uh, impressed with it. And he uh, there's a section in the in the film where they talk about how our global leaders are really being misidentified as leaders when actually they're global followers. They are, they basically will follow what the masses say they want for fear of losing their job if they don't. And there was a little um, you know snippet where they showed sort of back to back clips of you know President Obama and other sort of major figures around the world saying one thing and then like just a couple years later saying the exact opposite because enough people spoke up and said we're not going to stand for that and so <laughs> you had a really stark illustration of people uh showing uh that these leaders that we elect are actually followers and i think that's important to remember government should be terrified of, of the people and they should do everything they can to make sure that people are getting what they need and uh the only way for that for us to demonstrate that i think is to i think it was jefferson that said uh there's got to be like a revolution every 40 years or something along those lines. <laughs> then I might totally like screwing that up, but it was something along those know. lines. Uh, but I've been listening to Hamilton on, on repeat, um, <laughs> cool. the, the, the repeat. So, um, but yeah, and, and there's, you know, there, there's, there's two other things that come up for me thinking about that. Um, and, and one of which is this was the people speaking, like the, the people put Trump in the white house. And I saw a lot of hatred afterwards and a lot of like, like disbelief and shock on Facebook. But it's also this wake up call of like, look, there are people out there who feel like they're not being heard. If, you know, if, if they were heard um, and, and if other things were, were different, like Trump wouldn't have been elected. So taking even ownership of that, like, OK, maybe we do have work to do on our own here. Maybe, mm. maybe we, we, we can be kinder just to our neighbors. And then that that piece of, of, of leaders being followers, the global leaders being followers, there is there's no more powerful instrument um, even more powerful than like voting for for a president. And that's that's the dollar. That's the consumer dollar. That's the choices that we make day in and day out on on where we put 
you know, money is just energy. Um, and when we, when we purchase from a company, we're, we're giving them energy to, to work on creating a vision that, that they're, that they're working towards. Our money's gone to McDonald's and gone to Walmart and, and those kinds of things. And I think there's been a shift lately to start, to start recognizing that and making, making more conscious consumer decisions. But, you know, from here going forward, it's like, what's the future that we want to create? Well, make those votes with your dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I always like to think of it as investing in a business. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm increasingly uh, passionate about animal rights and some of the stuff that I've seen about how animals are raised and treated and slaughtered and everything about that industry just is abhorrent to me. And, um, I was watching, I don't look at somebody's through somebody's Instagram feed recently. And, uh, it was an awful video, of course, that they shared. And they said, if you don't approve of this, stop financing it, stop mm. investing in it. And I was like, that for some reason that hit home for me more than voting with your dollars it was just a different word, but it really, it really hit home. And I thought, wow, I am financing, I'm investing in that business. I mean, I'm saying, keep doing that. I approve. I want more expand your operation. <laughs> you know, whenever I, whenever I go out and buy something that, that they uh, produce. And my, my wife and I eat mostly plants and that's, that's partly for, you know, our health reasons and, and partly because it's just not sustainable in the long run. There's nothing against eating meat. Um, I've got some people who worked in that industry and then we're kind of like, Hey, uh, this, this is not awesome. But that idea of, <laughs> of, of making investments in, in what we want to see and like without, without the consumer, the company ceases to work and there's, you know, conscious capitalism and, um, John Mackey and whole foods, like they're doing really cool stuff. And there's even, there's even now a, a business certification. I think it's called uh, public benefit corporation where like in the bylaws, you know, they're not just accountable to shareholders they're not just accountable to employees, but they're accountable to providing a public good, um, as like part of the company bylaws. I love that. We need more of that, please. Um, you know, just going back to the Donald Trump thing for a second, and, and you said you talked about the divide and people feeling like they weren't being recognized or, or acknowledged by their government. I, I think that's a huge part of I agree, like what that's a huge part of what, um, you know, is playing out right now is that there's a lot of people that were being ignored, like flat out ignored to the point that people on the coasts uh, in the U.S. barely even knew that those other people existed, let alone were having trouble or getting screwed by their government. And so I think that's important to note. Um, but also that I think that when we see hatred and when we see abuse, I think what we're really seeing, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think what we're really seeing is fear that somebody's needs are not going to get met. And it's just being manifested in this very different way. But underneath it all is I'm afraid that I'm not going to get what I need to get. And yeah. that I think if we take that, if we recognize that and take an approach that goes to the root of that issue, we could really qu very quickly construct a completely different world experience for our species. Yeah. I mean, look, being human is hard. <laughs> like the, we're all born into parents and every parent says like, we don't come with an operating manual and, and they do the best that they can. And they've got their, their, their stuff that they got from their parents. And, and like, we get stuff from society and we get these stories and all this stuff. And, and it's hard to wake up every day, you know, and, and, and not know like, is this world safe? Am I going to be safe for a lot of people? It's like, am I going to be able to eat today? That fear of, of, certainly for myself and, and, and for what I've seen with a lot of people I've had this kind of conversation with, but that, that fear of being enough, um, that fear of getting loved that, that, you know, it, it's not even the fear of survival. I think that's, that's a primal instinct that we've kind of 
um, our, our species has evolved out of. Our brains are kind of a little bit slower, and that's another reason why I love meditation is because, you know, when we're in the savanna and, and it's like responding to threats all the time, you have to be on this hyper hyper fight or flight. That makes sense because then you're running and you're clearing those chemicals from your system. And today we're inventing threats. Like most of us in this country, for sure, life is really freaking good. And, and there's, there's not a high percentage of death or, or starvation or, or any of these things, even in some of the worst, the worst areas. And that's not to say that there's not a lot of work to do, but we, we manifest these stresses. Um, you know, oh, my, my boss didn't love this report. And all of a sudden our, like our, our heart rates are jacked and we've got all these endorphins. And then we sit there at our desk and do nothing. Right. And those chemicals build. And it, and it just it creates more fear and more tension. Then we go home and we yell at our significant others or our kids or whatever. Um, instead of just having some compassion with ourselves and, and, and other people. There is a great book I read a while ago called Awareness by a guy named Anthony DeMello. He's a, a non-denominational priest. And the book was essentially a, a transcription of several different sermons he gave over the course of several years worth of retreats. And there was one bit that stood out to me that completely changed my life. And I, I think it really speaks to what we're talking about here. And in this sermon, he was talking about to some, to some kid who was upset that like his girlfriend, you know, wasn't, wasn't faithful to him, I think. And he said, look, we're all dictators, right? You're a dictator and I'm a dictator. And what I mean by that is that we walk around with this idea that you will behave exactly as I've decided you should behave. And if you don't, I will punish myself by having negative feelings about it. And when I read that, I had I, my, my, it was like brain explosion and I had to like take a nap. And then I started looking at my life completely differently. I, I realized I had this set of rules that everybody in the world had to abide by in my head. And if they didn't, then all of a sudden I was having a bad day <laughs> because, <laughs> because nobody was doing what I think is appropriate. And it's like, man, learning to let go of that. Um, it can make a, a, a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so huge. But, you know, the, the flip side of that and to play devil's advocate, because this is we are the dictator, right? Like like we have a unique perspective and a unique set of experiences that no one else will ever have. Um, and so like we very much are the center of our own world. We process things like we have our emotions, like as far as we know, you know, I don't think that we necessarily have the brain capacity to know what happens either before or after death. But like while we're here, like I am the center of my world. And that's just that that's one side of it. The flip side is that like we're all connected. We're all part of this larger thing. And we can't all be the center of the ultimate world or universe. And so holding both of those 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 two things of one, like I'm the center of the world and two, I'm as far from the center of the world as, as possible, because that's just, it doesn't work. Um, and so focusing on that first one and saying, okay, what can I control? Um, I, I can control my judgments. I can control how I respond to situations. I can control like how I talk to my girlfriend who I found out is cheating on me, but I can't actually control what she does. I can't control what that driver on the highway does. I can't control what, you know, the Stoics have this line of, um, I'm, I'm reading um, Ryan Holiday's The Daily Stoic, which yes. is why this love it so good. Um, yeah. I, I do a I do a different book kind of every year for my daily meditations, and that one's this year, and I'm super soaked. Awesome. Um, but they they had this line recently of like you don't even control your own body. Like you could get an illness, you could you know be traveling and get thrown into a prison for whatever reasons. Um, so even that is outside of your control. Um, 
and only focusing on what you can't control, which is again, like your mind. And that's where go back to meditation, but, but, um, recognize that like the dictatorship, the power of the dictator, like that's real power, but its limits go not quite so far. Right. Most of yeah. Us yeah. And not trying to go on a, a conquest, right. To conquer more territory. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. doesn't work that way. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you would say to somebody who maybe is listening to this interview and, and thinking like, look, you guys are really kind of new agey, this hippie California crap. I'm not buying. It's a dog eat dog world. You got to get out there and compete. Life is hard. It's ruthless. Uh, you know, I forget which philosopher it was, but the idea that man's life is short and brutish and mm. difficult. Uh, Locke, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You know, Locke or Hobbes or one of those guys. How would you respond to somebody coming at you and saying, I disagree with you. This is how the world works. Yeah, they're right too. Um, the world is tough and, and, and it is, it is, you know, um, there's a lot of sadness. There, there's a lot of, of suffering. And, and so like taking ownership of that, but then recognizing that is a given, that is a fix. And, and we're not talking here about like, Oh, the world is all sunshine and roses, but like, okay, Given that I just got run into by this person and given that like I found out that my, my grandma just died and given out that like my best friend just was involved in, in some sort of whatever, like those are all things outside of your control. Um, and, and the more you worry about those, the less power you have to actually experience what you want to experience. Um, mm. And it's it's not easy. And sometimes, you know, the, I love this story of compassion. I think the Dalai Lama talked about it, but it's like even in having compassion for other people, uh, he, he told the story of, of a pirate that like boards a, a ship um, and he's going to kill all the people on the ship. And would the Dalai Lama kill the pirate? And the Dalai Lama was like, yeah, of course I would. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, and not even out of compassion for the other people on the ship, but because he knows that like if that pirate kills 100 people, that, that's actually worse for the pirate. Like killing the pirate saves the pirate from himself. Um, and wow. so knowing that, there's going to be people out there that are that are you know evil. I think this is something that that society and religions have always struggled with of like what's good and what's evil and where do we draw the line and how do we have these values or whatever. Um, and I think that it's it's so hard to tell. But I, I also think that we have an internal compass where like fundamentally you just you know what's what's good and and what's bad. There's not hard and fast rules. You know the trolley problem, famous uh, philosopher's problem, where it's like. Let's see. A trolley is heading down the tracks towards like five people, right, um, and you have the ability to to like flip a switch that then moves the trolley off to kill one person. Would you do it? Yes or no? And then they go through these various iterations of the problem where like maybe you could push someone onto the tracks or like touch a button with a stick or push a guy with a stick or you know it's not five <laughs> people, it's your family or whatever. Yeah. Jonathan Haidt talks a lot of about this in the uh, happiness hypothesis, but essentially like you confuse yourself and, and we make up these contradicting rules. Um, so, so you can't really set like a, a definition on, on morality, on values. But I think that each one of us has an internal compass. That's like, okay, this feels good and this feels bad. And it's on us to, to be more aware of that and to be more in tune with it and, and to listen to it. Right? Like I know when I say something mean or hurtful, um, you know, to, to my wife. And then I use her a lot because we're around each other the most often. And, and, um, she sees the best and worst parts of me. And like, 
I've, I've developed this meditation practice so like I know faster and faster afterwards so I can try and apologize for it. Um, but when you become in tune with that, you know, when you're, when you're causing evil or, or when you're, when you're, you know, spreading love to know that like evil is not going to go away completely. And like, there's times where we have to be hawkish and, and firm, um, and, and defend good from the evil, but to just make this commitment that I'm not going to, of my own actions, spread evil. Hmm. Do you, do you feel that evil and good are subjective terms or do you feel like they're relatively objective? Um, like, I, I guess to clarify, like what, what, what I might see as evil, just because we were talking about him, Donald Trump may see as good. So like, yeah. how, how do you reconcile that? I mean, I, I can't, you know, kill the pirate in this case to save him from himself. Um, yeah. so, I mean, it's, we, life is full of these dilemmas, right? So it's like, I, I wonder sometimes when we talk about good and evil, it's a sliding scale and how we sort of get to dance with that. Do you have any sort of, I don't know, that's a big yeah. question I just posed to you. Do you have any thoughts on that? No. So, uh, let's play with it. I like it. The, the one thing that comes to mind is like, um, where's your sphere of influence, right? Like if you're the dictator in your own little world, then why do you care about the lines of good and evil in this bigger world that you can't have an impact? I think as you become more and more, quote unquote, powerful, right, your sphere of influence grows. And so at that point, like good and evil change. I was uh, at President Obama's inauguration, um, his first inauguration. So about eight years ago, and I had I had voted for Bush before that, I don't, I don't know that I voted for Obama in the first election. I, I did for the second election. But the helicopter with Bush in it flew overhead. And, and these crowds were massive. And they started booing Bush. And I remember thinking, like, man, like, I don't know that, that any of these people would actually want to be president because there's so much power. And it's so hard to make those big decisions of, like, what is good and, and what is evil and where are we going to put, put the military re- – resources, et cetera. And that's a lot. That's a big question that I don't, I don't feel (laughs) like I can't answer that, but I can answer like what's good and evil for me as I go about my day, the people that I interact with, the decisions that I make, I get a good sense of of what it is there. And I think that if, if each of us just focused on that, on how can I spread more of the things that are good in, in my areas, maybe that's a wave, maybe that's a smile, maybe that's a hug, maybe that's a, you know, asking somebody how they're doing or taking time to call, you know, your parents or whatever. That big question, I think, will take care of itself. Hmm. Now, what what that means for Trump in the White House right now and for global geopolitics, like, that's scary. Uh, and, and, and I don't know, but I'm also not, I'm not paid to know that answer or qualified <laughs> to know the answer. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, you know, what I said I was excited for. And that's, that's hopefully solving the problem from the ground up. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of deep conversations with uh, certain family members that shall remain nameless. Much of my family is very Christian, not Catholic, but uh, Episcopalian, which is like Catholic light. In some of the conversations we've had uh, about, you know, God and and theology and um, right and wrong and morality and things like that, um, the argument comes up. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that originally posed this question in in his book, Mere Christianity, which I read back in college. He said, uh, you know, like... "Ah, Good and evil are these, it's this sort of inborn quality that every human being is arguably born with, that there's a limit to what is sort of bad and a limit to what is sort of 
good without being indulgent and and bad, you know, without being terribly destructive. And there's, there's just like this, we all have this sort of, you know, the same way that we're, we're, we're born and we're instinctually afraid of spiders and snakes. That's been proven time and time again in, in psychology. We're also born with this sense of like, what is wrong and what is not wrong? What is, what is good? And I, I, I don't think I buy that. And this theory that I've been sort of developing and working on is that good and evil, and perhaps right or wrong is a better way to think of it. I, I think it's actually an, a, an evolutionary thing that developed as we learned through the millennia as human as the human species what it took to survive. And what it, what it took to survive is cooperation. I, our sense of right and wrong, I think, sort of evolved from what is going to ensure the survival of me, my family, my children, my tribe. Uh, and then we sort of started attaching emotions to that. Uh, and then from that, we sort of started to, you know, put on these big spiritual meanings and things like that. It's just a theory and I'm still not done with it, but that's sort of a thought that I had. It just kind of came up when you were, when you're speaking into that, uh, that idea of good and evil. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to pose that. Do, do you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah. I, well, one, I can't wait to, wait to read your theory. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's a couple of things that I'll throw out that, that just, you know, quotes that, that, that came to my mind, one of which is like, um, God did not make man in his image, man made God in his, mm, uh, yeah. and, and that, that the other one is a story of, of the two wolves and there's yeah. a native American story that there's, you know, we, all, we each had these two wolves inside of us, a wolf of good and wolf of evil. And, um, whichever one, you know, grows bigger is the one that we feed the most or, you know, with our attention, um, whether we have good or evil or whether they're biological kind of creations or whatever, I guess I'm not sure that it, that it's, that it's all that interesting because it feels sort of philosophical to me. And that like, whether good and evil were something that like we evolved because it helped us to survive. Um, nature is infinitely more brilliant than we are. And so like, if that means that being more good helps us survive more, I mean, I think that that's, that's why we are this crazy advanced race and like, awesome. Do more of that. My favorite things that I love to share because so much of, of, of you know, having a, a happy, good life is free and easy. Um, but it's also biologically hardwired. So when you do something nice for somebody, like most people feel good. It's, it's just such a super simple hack to, to get a mood boost. If you say, hold open the door for, you know, or, or, or walk an older person across the street or pay for someone's coffee in line behind you. Um, when you do that, you get a serotonin boost in your brain. So like your brain gives you a shot of the chemicals that they pump into antidepressants. Like your biology is rewarding you for doing this good thing. Um, not only that, the person that you help, they also get this little serotonin boost. So it's like nature is saying, yes, do more of that. Like help these other people. You get a boost. The hmm. person that you help gets a boost. The crazy yeah. thing, somebody that just sees you. So someone standing on the corner or someone else in line at the Starbucks that see you do this, they get a boost of serotonin too. Yeah, it's uh, it, it could very much be a survival mechanism just as much as it could be a, a gift from above. Um, yeah. I, I, it's just this. Whichever one it is, like, hey, let's all be nicer to each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to The Bookends. Hope you enjoyed part two of Trevor's chat with Michael. 
Um, I have been really digging this. Um, I know, I know it's funny sometimes we're like, Oh, does, is this, is this have to do with acting? <laughs> and it just goes down these like amazing, beautiful rabbit holes. Um, rabbit holes are not a bad thing. I think that's what we're learning. Um, and, and also, you know, what is acting if not just a, a practice in presence, yes. a practice in, in being in the moment, you know, and all this stuff is, is essential for that. So, yeah. Um, use it. Yeah. The more we know ourselves as creative people, the more authentic and powerful storytelling we can, we can do. So just a few minutes here to wrap up, uh, this episode picks of the week. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, it, so it's a, a sort of a double pick of the week. Cause I have a, a bonus bonus content. Our former, uh, head of PR, uh, Jasmine Bristow, uh, she had one of her articles published in the, uh, very popular elephant journal, elephantjournal.com. If you don't read or subscribe to Elephant Journal, I encourage you to check it out. They have some great content on there. Uh, this one is is perfect for the new year because it's all about success and sort of breaking up with the idea of success. So uh, I encourage you to check that out, especially if you do not have this. One, this one's more for the folks without a type A personality. Sometimes type A's don't leave room uh, for other personality types. So this is, this is a fantastic way to maybe shift your perspective. If you're having a hard time letting go of goals that maybe weren't accomplished in 2016. Um, and then as a bonus, uh, I don't know if our listeners will remember, but she created a review and renew document for us. Um, at the, I think it was the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, but basically in one of those changeovers from one year to the other, she created a, a review and renew document, uh, she did it again for 2017. Uh, we, we put a link to the PDF on our website, but you can you can get it online. You can download it, print it out, whatever. Um, but it's like a really cool. And, you know, here we are at the end of the first month of 2017. So the timing is, is perfect. Um, so use it. And what a great way to approach something like this with the artist's way practices in your pockets. Mm. Yeah. I mean, get ready for some profound answers and responses to this kind of thing. That article is great, by the way. I read that article a few weeks ago when she published it, and it's fantastic. She's a gifted writer, and she has a lot of wisdom and compassion to share with the world. And Definitely. highly recommend you guys head over to our website and look in the show notes for the link to that article. It's awesome. Cool. My pick of the week is a cookbook uh, by a, a woman named Dana Schultz. She runs a blog called Minimalist Baker. Dot com And the cookbook is aptly titled Minimalist Baker. It's 101 plant-based recipes. And can I just tell you, if anybody ever tried the argument, I don't want to eat vegan meals, you know, regardless of the ideology, I don't want to eat plant-based meals because they don't taste as good. I would hand them a copy of this cookbook <laughs> because I have learned about spices and spice combinations and new textures and just, you know, foundational cooking techniques that will take your meals to the next level. And they don't take a ton of time. Her whole philosophy, the whole idea behind the minimalist part of Minimalist Baker is that all of these recipes are either 10 ingredients or less or take 30 minutes or less to prepare. 
So either way, you're getting a, a really sort of some recipes take longer, but they have fewer ingredients and some recipes have more ingredients, but are really quickly created. And, and these, these recipes are the best. This is the best food I've ever eaten hands down. And I have wow. the, the joy and the satisfaction of also having created it myself, just following these simple instructions. And this cookbook is awesome. There's a link to purchase it via Amazon, uh, on our website in the show notes, but check it out, man. If you, if you're curious about cooking, just forget about the vegan part, forget about the plant-based part. Just check out these recipes. They will blow your mind so yeah minimalist baker and uh, her website's great too minimalistbaker.com sign up for her newsletter you get bonus recipes and there's a free ebook with a bunch of smoothie recipes and stuff oh it's, she's awesome she's she is brilliant a brilliant um food scientist culinary ho- ho- artist yes holistic food culinary artist scientist well, okay. now I'm hungry. So that is uh, Jasmine Bristow's awesome article in the Elephant, in Elephant Journal, as well as the 2017 Review and Renew document she put together for us, and uh, the Minimalist Baker website and cookbook. Check them out. Everything in the show notes. That does it for this episode of Inside Acting. Anything you want to add before we skedaddle? No, nah, man. I'm good. All right. <laughs> Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Fern Lim designed our logo. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, probably some more, LinkedIn. Uh, and if you guys do nothing else, a nice review on iTunes goes a really long way for us it's a great way to support the the show spread the word and help other people find it uh, and subscribe and know that they're getting into something good as well Hmm. a special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and viotogogo.com and thanks to you our listeners you can support the show with a financial contribution if you'd like a favorable review on itunes which we just talked about retweets and kind public words of Uh, undying affection and of course by subscribing to our newsletter just visit insideacting.net to get started and a big thank you to all of you who have supported the show so far and a big thank you to those of you who are considering doing so you can also make a one-time no strings attached tax deductible contribution to to uh, support the podcast via paypal square or venmo just visit insideacting.net slash contribute to do that or of course you can sign up as a member for seven dollars a month and get access to our private member message board and invites to exclusive events fun freebies special bonus content and much much more just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab and that does it for episode 265 of inside acting thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you next week and in the meantime awareness baby awareness baby